You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. Uh, well, I have been waiting on this day for a good while. Today is Compassion Sunday, and it was about a decade ago when I was exposed to Compassion. I got to see a sort of up-close and personal sort of... Uh, from that place, the work that they do. And it is great work. I instantly fell in love with it. And I just was so looking forward in that moment to the day where we were able to take uh, compassion over in this hand, which we have grown to love, and our church family that we love so much, and to take these two hands and join them together. And that's really what today is. It's a chance for our church to take a deep step into a partnership with Compassion International. And so here's what I want to do today. I, I want to just spend some time with you um, looking and thinking upon the heart of God. If, if you could just imagine someone coming to you and saying, what is God like? And then you answering that, uh, giving an answer to, a response to, this is what God is like. Uh, just imagine that moment uh, of how you would respond. Um, A.W. Tozer once said that the most important thought that we'll ever think is the one immediately following the word God. What is God like? It's not what do we want God to be like, it's what is God actually like. And the only way we sort of keep ourselves from that temptation and pitfall of making God like we want him to be uh, rather than doing that, us actually seeing God for who he is, is to open up the scriptures and read them. Uh, the Bible, one of the main purposes of the Bible is to reveal the person of God to us. Who is he? So we open up the scriptures to see this is what our God is like. To, to form our thoughts that follow that word God. And so I want to just read a few of uh, the Proverbs to you today. And let's just consider what, what is this showing us about God? What is it showing us about the heart of God? What is our God like? Proverbs 19, verse 17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. Now, let's just take the first half of that verse. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the poor. When I read the first half of that verse, it makes me wanna ask the question, how can that be? How can the scripture say, my generosity toward the poor is somehow connected to my generosity to God? How can the scripture say that? That verse, in my mind, makes absolutely no sense unless, God identifies so deeply with the poor that how you treat them is how you treat him. That verse makes no sense unless that's true. That God identifies with the poor that deeply. Proverbs 14, verse 31. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. But he who is generous to the needy honors him, honors his maker. Now, again, this, this verse is just opening up the heart of God for us. It's showing us who our God is, what our God is like. And uh, this verse has two sides. Here's the first side. Whoever oppresses a poor man, abuses a poor man, lacks appropriate concern for this poor man in his poverty, Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. Here's the flip side, the other side. 
but he who is generous to the needy. And that's the opposite of oppressing them. That you're generous, your heart is open toward them. Uh, But he who is generous to the needy honors him, honors his maker, honors God. Now, again, I'm just reading that and asking the question, how in the world can that be true? How can my oppression of a poor man insult God? And how can my generosity to the needy, how can that honor God? That verse makes absolutely no sense unless... God identifies so deeply with the poor that how you treat them is how you treat him. So what is God like? Well, we could say this clearly from what we have just seen. What is the heart of God like? We could say it this way. God identifies with the vulnerable. He deeply identifies with the vulnerable. And we don't just see that truth, you know, in the Proverbs, in just one place. We see this throughout the scriptures. Uh, Do you remember that moment in Matthew 25 where Jesus is giving a sort of a parable? It's a picture of the final judgment. And in that parable, uh, the king is commending those who, uh, and it's representing Jesus. uh, In a sense, Jesus is commending those who fed him when he was hungry who gave him a drink when he was thirsty, who welcomed him when he was a stranger, who clothed him when he was naked. Do you remember that scene in Matthew 25? And they look back at Jesus and they're like, Jesus, what what are you talking about? We never saw you when you were thirsty and gave you a drink. We never saw you as a stranger and welcomed you. We, We never did these things to you, Jesus. And Jesus looks back at them and then that famous saying in Matthew 25, he says, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, You did it to me. That makes no sense unless God identifies so deeply with the poor that how you treat them is how you treat him. God identifies with the vulnerable. And one of my favorite places to see that is in Psalm 68, verse 5. In Psalm 68, we read this. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. So that word fatherless, or we could use the word orphan in there, uh, the word widow, those two words are typically paired with a couple of other words, sojourner or foreigner, uh, the alien, and then the poor. Those four words are typically all sort of grouped together in the Bible. And together, uh, when those words uh, kind of all come together, they are forming in the scriptures the most vulnerable of the vulnerable. So whoever the vulnerable is, these are the four groups of people that sort of rise to the top of vulnerability. Like when sin hits the fan in this broken world, these people are the first one to die. The fatherless, the the widow, the poor, the sojourner. And God says, this is who I am. I'm a protector of people like that. I'm a father to people like that. Have you ever looked around and asked the question, where is God in this world? Where is he? Well, this is one answer the Bible would give to that question. If you want to find God, find a vulnerable person. Because right beside that vulnerable person, you're going to find God. He's standing right there beside the vulnerable. And if you want to see the clearest picture of God's heart for the vulnerable, 
Uh, Just look to the cross. Look to the dying love of Jesus. I love the imagery Paul uses to describe the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The work of Jesus. What Jesus has accomplished. And here's how he says it in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Again, this is imagery. It's a metaphor to say, this is what God has done for you. He says, he says it this way, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. This is imagery that Paul is using to show what Jesus did for you and what doing it did to him, Jesus. So what did he do for you? And then what did that do to Jesus? So so first, what did Jesus do for you? Uh, Here's the way Paul envisions it. God looked upon you in your poverty. He saw you there in your poverty and the debt of your sin that you could never repay. He, He saw you in your vulnerability. He saw you in your desperate situation that you could not deliver yourself from. Uh, He knew that without rescue, you would be ruined forever. So he sees you in your vulnerability, and Jesus came to you. He found you. And when he found you in your poverty, Jesus gave you all of his wealth, all of his riches. He rescued you from poverty and opened up a new future, a bright new future for you. That's Paul's description of what Jesus has done for you. Now, what did that cost Jesus? What did doing that do to him? What did it cost Jesus? Here's the one word summary, everything. It cost him everything. On that Friday, 2,000 years ago, he crawled down into the hole of our poverty. Our sin debt nailed him to a tree, and there on the tree, our sin crushed Jesus. Or as Isaiah says, he was pierced for our transgression. And in his, in, in his final few breaths, Jesus lost every last dollar that he had as he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the God that we see in the scriptures. We see a God who identifies so deeply with the vulnerable that he would give his very life to rescue them, to deliver them, to help them. His very life. Now, friends, if you're in Christ, If you have taken that decisive step toward him, if you are in Christ, this is your story. You have been the recipient of God's heart for the vulnerable. He identifies so deeply deeply with the vulnerable that he has come to us to rescue us, to save us, to redeem us. This is your story if if you're in Christ. You have been the recipient of God's generous heart to the vulnerable. This is what we see in the heart of God. This is what we see in the scriptures, that God identifies with the vulnerable. Now, what should that produce in the heart of God's people? God's sort of identification with with the vulnerable, what should that produce in us? We could say it this way. In light of what we see in the heart of God, we value the vulnerable. God identifies with the vulnerable, so we value the vulnerable. So when we look at the heart of God, it's no surprise that we would see things like this show up in Proverbs. Proverb 31, 8 and 9. 
Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Verse 9. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Or Proverbs 22, 22 and 23. Do not rob the poor because he is poor or crush the afflicted at the gate. For the Lord will plead their cause and rob of life those who rob them. God is serious about that, isn't he? I mean, he is serious about these things. He, he wants us to look at the vulnerable and then value them. What we have received from the heart of God, he wants us to reflect out into the world. What God has done to us, he is saying, now, now my people, you have the privilege of doing to others. So what does it look like to value the vulnerable? I think in a simple phrase, what it means to value the vulnerable is you look upon their problem and you make it your problem. Valuing the vulnerable means their problem becomes our problem. This is the sort of life Jesus is inviting us into. To every day wake up with an awareness of there are problems around us. And we are God's agent to come into these problems and, and to, to make their problem our problem. To treat their problem as if it were our own. This is the way God is inviting us to live. This is the way of wisdom in Proverbs. This is how you live in alignment with how God has made the world to work. And if we're going to make their problem our problem, if we're going to value the vulnerable, it really comes in two steps. And here is step one, that we see the need. We have to keep our eyes open to see the need. Years ago, I heard a guy tell a story of being on vacation, and they were at the beach. And he and his eight-year-old son were walking down uh, to the water when out of the corner of his eye, he sees a disabled man who's walking on the sand with crutches. He sees this disabled man fall into the sand and he can't get up. And just imagine that moment. Imagine you're the dad, it's your son there, and you're walking along, you're, you're trying to get to the beach yourself. You're just out for a great day. And you're walking to the beach and you see that scene. Now ask yourself the question, what do you do in that moment? What is your sort of reflect, like reflexive response to, okay, we've got a problem over there. How do you respond to that? Well, this is how this guy responded. Without even thinking, it was like a reflex for him. He shielded his, his kids to keep him from seeing it. He, he shielded the eyes of his kid and he turned as quickly as he could and walked in this direction. Just reflexively, turn from the problem as if it didn't exist. Everything he could do to just avoid, we have a problem right over there. And I think that is a great illustration of what many of us do with the vulnerable around us, with problems around us. We see it out of the corner of our eye, but rather than turning toward it as quickly as we can, almost reflexively, we turn away from it and act as if that problem really doesn't exist over there. Now just ask yourself the question, is that, is that the way that I respond to needs when they come up around me, when the Lord presents my life with needs? Because one way that we reflect Jesus, one way that we are accurate image bearers of our God is to look around and ask the question, where are vulnerable people? Where are problems around me? 
not to turn from those problems, but to see those problems. Now, when you're doing that in and around your life right now, there are likely hundreds of problems we could point to. When we apply things like this at our church, we sometimes apply it to sanctity of life, the life of the unborn. We apply it to foster care and adoption. There are hundreds of ways to think about the problems around us. But the problem we wanna highlight today is what we just might call global poverty. Global poverty is a huge problem. There are almost a billion people alive today that live on less than $1.90 per day. Now, before you run past that, stop to put yourself in their shoes. Imagine if, if you earned $1.90 a day. Imagine what your life would be like. Imagine the way that you would be thinking about your life. You're not dealing with wants anymore. You are, you are dealing with how do I get the basic necessities of life? How do I survive? Your whole mindset and, and the way that you're viewing life shifts in that moment. There are, across the world, roughly one billion children, one billion, that lack access to the basic necessities of life. So we're just talking nutrition, we're talking clean water, we're talking those types of things. One billion children who lack those sort of basic necessities. And poverty is so often cyclical. It's passed from one generation to the another, just this devastating cycle of hopelessness. Now, I don't often quote Joseph Stalin in a sermon, uh, but he was right when he said, the death of one person is a tragedy, but the death of a million is just a statistic. And the thing that I love about compassion is it brings this huge statistical problem down to a person that you can help, that I have the capacity to help, that you have the capacity to help. Uh, last night, we brought our kids up uh, to the lobby up here, and we just let them look over these packets that are hanging all over the lobby this morning. And we just came and we just asking the Lord to show us what, which kiddo would you have us step into their life? Do you want us to see not just this big problem, but this person? And how can we make their problem our problem? So, so what is our one kid? So our kids picked out this guy. He is like the cutest little guy ever. His name is Osman. He's five years old. And then we just flipped to the back and just got a sense of like, what, what are the problems he's facing? Well, he grows up in an area that is the second highest sort of illiteracy rate in the Western Hemisphere. That, that's going to mean all sorts of things for his life. Uh, he is in an area where the malnutrition rate is one of the highest in the world. This is Osman. This is where he is, the life that he's living right now. And I love that compassion brings this huge statistical problem down into a person. It's no longer a statistic, but this is a human being, an image bearer that we can now step into and help. So we see the need and then we meet the need. Let's go back to that beach for a moment. Uh, in Aitley, uh, the guy, the, the dad, sees what's going on, that this man falls on the beach, he can't get up, he shields the eyes of his son, and he turns in this direction, but his son saw it. 
And his son breaks free from his dad and runs over to this man who, who's stuck in the sand and just can't get up. And this is a little eight-year-old boy. So, so he's trying to do everything he can to help this man up in, in his eight-year-old way, but he is not strong enough and big enough to help the guy up. But you know what's amazing about compassion? Is it's so often contagious. So this little boy is doing everything he can to help the man up, but he can't do it. But you know who comes over to help him? His dad. Do you know else, who else comes over? All these strangers who are looking at this same scenario and who all turn and are content with letting this man uh, sort of uh, wallow in his problem. So now you've got a whole crew of men that come around this one man to help him. And in a matter of minutes, he is now up and on his way to the ocean. And this is the sort of life that Jesus is calling us to be. Uh, just like this little eight-year-old boy, we are called to be the one who runs to problems to make them our own. But we're called to be the type of people who makes compassion contagious. Rather than turning from needs, acting as if they don't exist, we turn toward them, making their problem our problem. And when it comes to global poverty, I don't know of a, of a better sustained response to poverty that you could have than sponsoring through compassion. If you've got one, feel free to let me know after the service. I just don't know of a better response that you could have, a sustained response to global poverty than compassion. Here's what compassion is about. They are about releasing children from poverty in Jesus's name. And I love those last three words, in Jesus's name. One kiddo within compassion's reach every four minutes meets Jesus. That's roughly 350 kids today will meet Jesus through compassion. That sounds like a pretty amazing investment to me. In Jesus' name, they're not covert about Jesus. They are overt about sharing Jesus with people. And they are releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. For less than $40 a month, that is... Uh, probably less than, if you're going to take your whole family out to eat lunch today after service, it's probably less than you're going to spend on lunch today. For less than $40 a month, you can sponsor a child. That gives them all the basic necessities, food, clothing, medical treatment, education, and most importantly, Jesus. It's going to give them all of those things. Now, today we have set up a little over 400 kiddos in the lobby. 400 packets. Every single one of those packets represents a particular specific kid. And here's what we are asking Jesus for today. That every one of those packets would find a home. That every one of those packets would have a family step into their life, make their problem your problem. That every one of those packets would find a home today. Now, here's the great thing. All of those packets are coming from one part of the world. So if you want to take a look up at the screen, uh, here's Texas. There's Dallas right up there. If you just come follow that red line down, every one of our kiddos are coming right there in Central America from Guatemala. And if you look at the next slide, it'll give you a zoomed in sort of look at that. All of them are coming from that little area in Guatemala. So here's what we want. 
We want this zip code, uh, this Midlothian area, to affect that zip code, to own that zip code, to make sure that there's no kid in that area who is unsponsored. Now, here's the thing I love. For everyone who sponsors kiddos through Compassion, um, in the upcoming years, we're going to start taking trips through Compassion down to Guatemala. And here's what I love. There's going to be a moment on that trip when you get to meet the kid that you have been sponsoring. Um, I had a person uh, after one of the services last week come up to me and say, man, I'm so glad we are uh, jumping in with compassion. Our family has been doing this for years. And one of the highlights of my life, this lady said, one of the highlights of my life was the moment I got to take a trip with compassion down to the area where my kid was and I got to meet the kid that I've been sponsoring. One of the highlights of my life and then we are praying that for our church family, that we would have those moments all across our church family. So let's see the need and meet the need. This is how we make others' problems our problems. This is how we value the vulnerable. Now, if somebody were to come to me and say, why should I value the vulnerable? Here's my response. Because everyone wins. First, Jesus wins. When you do that, you are looking like your big brother Jesus. You are looking like your dad, like your father who values the vulnerable, who is the father, who's a father to the fatherless. So, so Jesus wins. You win. It, it, this is a good thing for you. I love how the, the Proverbs encourage us. Look at Proverbs 19, 17 again. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and then listen to what it says, and he, the Lord, will repay him for his deed. In other words, you're going to win in all this. Or Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 and 25. says, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. So they're giving, yet, yet growing even richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Verse 25, I love this verse. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched. And one who waters will himself be watered. Jesus rewards your generosity. I doubt anyone came in here too watered today. And Jesus is just saying, do you, do you want more water from me? I'd love to pour out more water. So you, you pour out and water others, and I'm going to pour into you and water you. This is why the New Testament says it's more blessed to give than receive. So I, I want to just let a family bear witness to that. So if you want to take a look up at the video, it's just one family telling their story of, of sponsoring a Compassion Kids. So why don't you take a look? God wants to send all the kids so we can make a difference so that people in other countries have exactly all that we, they need. This is our story of sponsoring a child with compassion. So let's start off with compassion. Compassion is a thing that helps other kids develop and get what they need and stuff. And the Bible is pretty clear that generosity is not about how much you have, it's about what you do with what you have. I remember our pastor at our church sharing about how if you don't have to walk to work every day and you have a car, like you are like one of the wealthiest people in the world. That perspective made me realize how much I really have. And 
I realized that it was really important that we start being generous. You know, we wanted to sponsor a child, and so we looked with Evie and picked out a, a child whose birthday was, was kind of close to hers, so they were around the same age, and, and it was a girl also, and her name is Marabella, and she's from the Philippines. Um, Marabella is six. She likes singing. She also likes drawing, I think. Understanding the concept of poverty isn't personal until you put a face to it. And Compassion put a face to poverty and a child's name to poverty. And um, it became this huge concept that's just out there somewhere and gave us an actual person to impact. So they, so Mirabella's year was like they had hurricanes. Hurricanes over there, typhoons over there. It made me want to help them because when I think about things that I didn't really like or times where it was hard, I think about poverty and how hard poverty would be. And I, and I thought, I wonder how these people feel. I was in the kitchen and Evie woke up and came in the kitchen and she, she literally walked out of her bedroom with this idea pretty much fully formed to the degree that she shared with me, Dad, I had this idea that um, I, could, I could draw pictures, me and my friends could draw pictures, and then people could buy the pictures for a dollar and then we could send that money to people who are poor. I hoped that it would make a difference that and make enough art to raise $500. You know, she came out of her bedroom thinking about someone else, which is huge for a child to do, and then thinking, what do I have? What, what ability, what assets do I have that I can use to make a difference? So, you know, we thought that getting involved with Compassion, sponsoring a child, we were going to be making a difference. And what we found is that through, through that, Compassion has given us um, a story and this purpose. Well, God wants us to do our gifts because He wants to make the world a better place and a better place for other people. Um, we don't consider ourselves as having very much, but um, because we had this uh, priority, both of, of the type of family we wanted to be, the type of people we wanted to be as followers of Jesus, as parents. Um, Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's gonna be. And so um, you have to move your treasure around to put your heart in the right place. As people are thinking about whether to sponsor a child, I want to tell everybody, like, do it. Like, it's gonna change your life. Like, you need to do it. So the blue is the sad kid because he doesn't have enough of what he needs. They need food, water, and medical service, and shelter. And the yellow is the happy kid because he has enough of what he needs, and he's been sponsored. We can all show kids the love of Jesus. Sponsor a child and make a difference. Proverbs 11:25 Whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered. So when you value the vulnerable, you win. And here's the best part of all, they win. Your generosity opens up a new future, a bright new future for another person. Your generosity makes things that were impossible possible. This is such an amazing uh, just truth for me to consider that $38 a month 
can change a child's life forever. That feels like such a crazy statement to me, that $38 a month can do that. So I wanna give you the other side of that story. If, if there's one side that is from the person who is, who is sponsoring and making another's problem their problem, I wanna give you the other side of that story now of a person who is the recipient of that. So to do that, can you welcome Owen to the stage with me? So I had mentioned this earlier in the service that my first exposure to compassion came about a decade ago and uh, I was on a trip to Kenya and uh, we were in Nairobi primarily and uh, just in some of the poorest parts of that city and it is a sobering reality. And unbeknownst to me, here we are 10 years later and Owen is actually from that very part of Nairobi. So Owen, we just wanna say thanks for coming and ministering to us today and opening up a little bit of your story and life and heart to us. And so uh, maybe we could just start by you walking us through just what, what your life was like growing up, uh, pre-compassion for you, what, describe the situation, the setting that you grew up in. Yeah, praise the Lord, church. Yeah. Praise the Lord. <laughs> so I was talking this morning and then I realized, uh, so, I speak Swahili and Kikuyu, which, which are the two languages that I spoke growing up, and they kind of like laid the foundation of my, me speaking. And so, so every time I speak in English, my mind has to translate between Swahili to English. And so I realized this morning that I was kind of glitching because, I don't know, the translation software was kind of glitching. <laughs> What he said that he was speaking, he was really <laughs> preaching earlier today in that first service. So yeah, you're in for a real treat. Yeah, so growing up as a kid in Kenya, I mean, for me as a child, if the word survival really describes perfectly how it was for me growing up, because uh, it, was, it was tough. I mean, it was hard, life was really hard. Uh, growing up in a family of three boys and I was a baby and uh, the last hope for my mom, uh, pretty much, because we were stuck in this cycle of poverty. And it's true what you said, poverty is uh, a lot of times generational. It's, you're stuck in this cycle of poverty that no one breaks out of. And so for me, uh, my lineage kinda, you know, that was a story that was told of me. You know, your grandparents, your great-grandparents were poor, your grandparents were poor, your parents were poor, your brothers were poor. You'll, you'll be poor. And so it's, it's this cycle that no one breaks out of. You don't. And uh, so my mom was a sore breadwinner, and she would make about 5 to $10 a month. And 5 to $10 a month, uh, I quantify that, but in reality, a lot of months, it was zero. And so that meant a lot of nights I had to go to bed hungry. And uh, if you've ever gone hungry for a day or so, uh, you get desperate, and you would do anything just to get food in your stomach. And uh, you know, that includes going and digging through trash and dumpsters to get food. I did that. Uh, and what, a story that actually almost ended up tragic is when I was about, I think, five years old, is I went into this dumpster and I picked up this bottle that it was a medicine bottle, but I didn't know then. My mind was, was like, I just wanted something to my stomach and uh, I tasted it and it was sweet. I think it was kids medicine, but I didn't know that I didn't look to see it was expired. And so 
uh, actually had turned into poison and, and, and I had an adverse reaction to that. And so it kind of highlights when you're hungry, you become desperate, you would do anything just to get food in your stomach. You know, reasoning and common sense goes out of the door. And for me, a lot of times, was knocking on people's doors, begging for food, and I had knocked on these people's doors so many times because I had to knock on these people's doors. Otherwise, I wasn't going to survive. And so a lot of times when they opened the door and they saw my face again, uh, a lot of times they shut the door on my face, and when they let me in, they, uh, they humiliated me just because my mom wouldn't be able to provide us with food, and I, I couldn't say anything about it. You know, the, the worst thing about poverty is everybody feels like they can treat you anyhow they want to, disrespect you anyhow they want to, because you can't say anything uh, in return. And so I had to sit there and take it because I knew I needed the food. And, uh, you know, we didn't have access to clean water. The source of water that we had originated in a slaughterhouse. And by the time it got to us, it was so polluted. And that's the same water that we would drink out of and cook with. And uh, really one of the other worst things about poverty is every time we got sick, my mom told us, I just hope that you're going to be fine because I do not have the money to go to hospital. So the story was that every time we got sick and we would go to my mom, she would tell us, you know, go to bed and hopefully you'll wake up tomorrow, you'll be fine. And uh, she shared with me the story that the year that I was born, there was a huge measles outbreak that ended up taking so many kids' lives. And uh, I had measles, and just like she always did, is she was holding me. And uh, you know, if you're wondering why didn't she take me to hospital, is back in those days, if you ended up in a hospital, regardless of what condition you were in, and you did not have the money, the hospitals would not take you in. And so she couldn't take me to hospital. So she held me throughout the night and she told me that every minute that passed by, I grew weaker and weaker and weaker. And I mean, I can't imagine looking at your child and knowing there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. Even when, you know, there's options like hospitals and stuff, but that is not an option. So poverty is bad. I would never wish poverty on anybody. But the absolute worst thing about poverty is not just a lack of food or clothes or medical care, it's the hopelessness that comes from poverty. It's when people look at you straight in their eyes and they told you that you are worth, and they tell you you are worthless and you will never amount to anything. And I mean, just like every other kid, I had a dream, uh, even though my dream was a little bit different. Uh, it was different because I never wanted to become a doctor or a lawyer or a pilot. Uh, I always wanted to become an accountant. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but it was when I, so you know when people, because we love to ask that to kids, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And with a smile in my face, I would tell them, I want to be an accountant. <laughs> but it's what they told me that kind of wiped the smile off my face. And, uh, because they told me, don't waste your time dreaming because none of your dreams will ever come true. And that was the reality of things. Yeah. So walk us through uh, when you were sponsored by Compassion, what age you were, and just what happened from there. So kind of fill us in on the details of 
kind of post-compassion? Yeah. yeah, and so I was about eight years old, and uh, uh, back, so compassion, when they, uh, you know, when they have, like, uh, they, they have, like, uh, where is it, op, uh, open positions for, for, like, bringing kids in, because, like, the more the kids get sponsored, the more opportunities open up for more kids to be sponsored. And so when that opportunity opened up in my community, uh, they, it was in a church. And so we ended up in that church, and uh, uh, obviously Compassion has to do an audit to make sure that these kids actually do really need the help. And uh, with my resume, it didn't take very much convincing that, we really did need the help. And so I, I got sponsored. And uh, so I ended up in this church. And you know, it's, it's really undervalued that compassion works through the local church because compassion changes the way you look at church. Because for me, the church was a place that I felt the safest. The church was a place that I, I was loved on the most. And that's really beautiful. And so, because Compassion hires all these teachers, and every one of the requirements is you have to have a personal relationship with Christ, but you also have to be practicing your faith too. But for me coming in to Compassion, you know, I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And so it was really, uh, I could tell from the beginning, you know, these people were different. They were weird because they were very loving and warm towards me. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is, is these people wouldn't shut up talking about Jesus. And, you know, from having no background or relationship with Christ and then coming in to this church, these people are very loving and encouraging. And it was beautiful. And we would read all these, uh, you know, memory verses, meditate on them and, and, and sing all these happy songs. And, you know, and they would feed us and, and, and all that. And it was beautiful until it came to the time to go back home to the same, you know, hopelessness and desperation, the same people who who seemed to think that I was worthless I would, and would never amount to anything. And so I lived in these two different worlds for a while until I kind of got tired and I thought, maybe if I go to the church and accept their Jesus, maybe these people won't have to sell me this Jesus so much, you know? And so I thought, I'm going to go to the church and I'm going to accept their Jesus, hoping that that would kind of tone them down or maybe shut them up. And uh, that never happened. <laughs> these people would never shut up talking about Jesus. And I'm not kidding. And so I went to the church and I said, I've come to accept you, Jesus. And so I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I remember when I, I, I was going back home, there was, just, there was just something different about me. I couldn't pinpoint what it was. And then I sat down and I started to think about it. And I thought, I don't have anything to lose. Why don't I try for myself about what these people say about this Jesus, why don't I test and see for myself if it's really true? And so I decided to, you kind of, you know, dig into the word. And I decided to, uh, to kind of commit to this relationship with this Jesus and, 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 and start to, to be more intimate with him. And, and the more I spend time in the word and the more I spend time in his presence, is the more stuff had it started to happen. That I was blind, but all of a sudden the scales started to fall from my eyes. It's, I started to know the truth that is in the word of the Lord and the truth started to set me free. Amen. And, and, and I can tell you today without a doubt in my mind, the poverty left my life the day Christ came into my life. Yes. Yeah. 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 
that, that if compassion had just given me Jesus and told me to go my way, I would have been fine. Because for the longest time in my childhood, I had fought poverty by my own strength, and I was losing terribly. But when I started to fight poverty with Jesus, there was no chance that poverty had in my life. You know, I got a hope that was way stronger than poverty. When I got Jesus, it's like the words that the world would tell me, the people would tell me, when they would tell me I am worthless, I am hopeless, I would never amount to anything, I would go back to the word, and there was a scripture against every standard that the enemy raised. I started to realize that, wait a minute, I have a hope and a future. I have a God who knew me before I was even conceived in my mother's womb. I knew without a doubt that my life was bigger and it meant more than the world seemed to tell me about. And compassion didn't stop there. They gave me food. They gave me clean water. They took me to school. Every time I got sick, they took me to hospital. And I was the first person in my whole family to go past high school, and I graduated uh, with my bachelor's degree in, guess what? Accounting. <laughs> yeah. And then I got, a, I got a scholarship to go do my master's degree in North Dakota, of all the places in America, North Dakota. And, uh, and I did my master's degree in uh, accounting and uh, sat for my CPA license, and I'm a CPA in America. Yeah. Yeah. I'm an accountant! I love to put that in there because I'm not your typical accountant, but the one thing that told me I would never become is the one thing that I am today. And I'm standing here today in front of you representing what compassion does is I have been released from poverty in Jesus' name. So, um, Owen, if you were going to talk to just me or us and we're considering sponsoring a kiddo, um, how might you want to encourage us and challenge us in that? And I, when, I, when I picked this packet so that I could hold it when I'm speaking, I, I, chose, uh, I chose him because his name is Frankly. Like Frank, but it's Frankly, Frankly. <laughs> so that's cute. And, uh, and so when I look at this picture, it reminds me when I was sponsored, one of the first, uh, so one of our friends played a trick on us and told us that the camera flash is really painful. And, I had never taken a picture before, and so you believe him when he tells you that. And so one of my first pictures, I was probably terrified because I kept <laughs> waiting for the pain to come that didn't come. It's serious. I'm serious. And uh, so they took a picture, and they printed it and took it to uh, a church, an event, compassion event. And this guy, who his name was Owen, and he looked at this kid, and his name was Owen, and he decided to pick me and sponsor me. And uh, we, as a result of that and relationship, and years later, about 10 years ago, uh, uh, Owen, who was my, you know, my best friend growing up, my superhero pretty much, uh, he was the best man in our wedding. And uh, I, th I don't know if you have the pictures there. Yeah, uh, yeah. His, his son, Simon, was a, was a ring bearer. And 
You know, that, that's really the picture of compassion. Because 20 years or so ago, I promise you, a lot of you would have been uncomfortable with me standing in front of you. Because I was dirty with all tattered clothes and, and broken feet. I looked like poverty. I looked hopeless. But 20 years later, someone decided to pick me up. Because 20 years or so ago, I was just part of a statistic. You know, the one billion kids who are living in poverty. But compassion gave me a name, and it gave me a face. And as a result of that, someone saw me and said, I want this kid. And from that, look what the Lord can do. I mean, me and my wife, we sponsored three kids through compassion. One of the reasons we do is because I believe in the ministry of compassion. I mean, it changed my life. But I can tell you, it is way more blessed to be a sponsor than to be a sponsor child. And then about three months ago, I, one of my dreams came true, and uh, I started working with compassion as an accountant. <laughs> and so now I can wear the hat of a CPA and tell you that compassion, they do what they say they do. I, the numbers back it up. I can tell you that for sure. But I've lived it. This kids, frankly, is, is for real. And one of, the, one of the most beautiful things about this church and the way you guys are doing it is you actually get to go see Frankly. I mean, how cool is that? To get to see Frankly in person. And so, I mean, for me, with compassion, for the longest time as a kid, I had nothing to give. Didn't have money or food, nothing to give. Until compassion gave me Jesus. And when they did, everyone that I met, everyone that I've met since then, I tell them about this Jesus who sticks closer than a brother. I tell them about this Jesus whom nothing is impossible to. Because someone picked out my packet in a table full of packets and picked me up. And as a result of that, I can't share my story without talking about Jesus. I mean, how beautiful is that? $38 a month changed my life. And not only my life, it changed my whole family's life. Because I'm able now, I was able to go back to my whole family and take them out of poverty in Jesus' name. Amen. But not only that, I have a story to tell. Compassion gave me a story. How beautiful is that? Is that my story is in Jesus' name. And so out there, you guys will get this packet that are on the tables. And I, I mean, I, I want to invite you to join in this journey. It's a beautiful journey. I'm so excited because of all the stories that will be written from today. Yeah. Of all the stories that we will, will be told that on this day, Frankly was sponsored. And as a result of that, Frankly's story changed. So the only thing you have to do is these packets out there. And so when you open your packet, uh, it has flaps. And the only thing you need to fill out is 
the front and back of the bottom flap, and then you just tear it up and hand it to one of the compassion volunteers out there. And then you get to keep the rest. I can tell you, it is, it's true, it's working. The most beautiful things is you're creating these stories that it's like in, in areas where there's so much hopelessness. When these kids' lives are changed, these kids have a story and it becomes a testimony. Because I remember like in my village, people, people now, every time I go back, they ask me, how did you do it? And I tell them, it's not about the connections that I had. It's not about the money that we had because we didn't have any. It's about him. It's about whose I am. It's about him and what he can do through you. And so I'm, I hope you guys join in the story and rewrite this story today in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for sharing this today. Who wins when we value the vulnerable? Jesus wins. Um, He looks really great. You win. As you water, the Lord waters you. And the one you're helping wins. They win. You're opening up a whole new future for another person. So will you pray with me? And I'm going to give you just a moment or two to allow the Spirit of God to speak to you and talk to you. for him to press into you the things this morning that he would want you to hear and to wipe away the things that he would not. And maybe you could ask the Lord, there where you are, to to give you an eagerness to see problems, to see the need, and then to meet those needs. That the Lord would cultivate in you a reflex where this would become a habitual way that you would live. There's a need, I'll meet it. There's a need, I'll meet it. Here's a need, I'll meet it. Not turning from those needs, but turning toward them. And really, when I think about this morning, it's, It's a chance for us to develop that muscle. It's a chance for us to begin to create that habit. Here's a need, I'm gonna meet it. Here are 400 kids out in the lobby. Here are 400 needs. So so I'm I'm gonna be a part of meeting that need. So Father, would you make us into that sort of people, that sort of a church God, would you do that? We want to be faithful image bearers, oh God. Saying true things about you, our God. So Father, would you put it in our heart this morning to meet a need, to see the need and meet a need. God, would you cultivate that reflex in us? God, would you help us look more like you, our dad, in this way. 
reciprocating to the world the very thing that we have received from your gracious heart. And it's in your good name that we ask it. Amen.